Hebrews chapter number 1, and we're going to make a quick switch here uh, so that I can use the keynote for uh, things this evening. All right, are we off back there, guys? Yes, there we go. And let me. Okay. I was on. Do it again. See if this will work. Okay. Okay. We can go ahead and. uh, There we go. All right. I was thinking about Psalm 138 in verse number 2. Uh, the psalmist said to the Lord, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. How many of you are grateful to have your own copy of God's word in your lap? And I was thinking, I was communicating with a pastor this afternoon who has a lot of ministry in the Philippines and talking about areas there where they either have just a portion of the word of God, do not have all of it, and the difficulty to get hands-on full copies of the scripture in a number of countries, and what a privilege it is for us to have a copy of it. And I think, too, about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And then, of course, over in chapter number 2, the scripture goes on to talk about how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders, with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, and how the scriptures it was given was authenticated by these sign gifts as a proof that this was the word of God being given to us. And now aren't you glad we can say with full confidence that we have a completed word of God, a completed scripture. And that is what I want us to consider. Now, let me tell you a little backstory to this series Uh, the grand view of God's Word, and you can see the subtitle there, The Purpose and Place of All 66 Books of the Bible. Now, we're not going to take every book one at a time. I started this series uh, back in the conference center, and then when we built this building and made the move, somehow or another the series got disconnected. Several of you remember we started it, and uh, I only got as far as Isaiah, But this is such an important study, and the Lord's just been working on me about going back around and beginning this and going through and finishing it, uh, this series for the sake of our growth and our edification, really a focus on the fact that every book of the Bible matters, and it fulfills a specific purpose that no other book in the Bible fulfills, all of them working together to accomplish uh, God's purpose in the Word of God. There are some fascinating things I know that will be a help to all of us as we consider this. Now, there are going to be some scripture verses and some statements and definitions. Let me tell you, I'm not going to make paper handouts, but all of this will be online. All of the videos of all of the services, the messages are online so that you can go back. If there are particular verses of scripture or quotes or definitions, things like that that you want to see, or when we get into the analysis of each of the books of the Bible too, uh, information will be there and you can actually go back and the guys are going to be putting up the screen on the live stream that will also show up on the video and, uh, and that will be a tremendous asset for you uh, if you're interested in going back and seeing more of this. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll start in tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to study it, to see the importance of its place in our lives. 
I pray, God, that you'd use this study. And as we do some review here, even though it's from uh, six, seven years ago, I pray that it would help us, that it would help to anchor us down further. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that the biggest goal that would be accomplished is that we would love the Bible and the author of the Bible more. And that we would be better equipped than to tell others about the author of the Bible and how they can, through faith in Christ Jesus, know this wonderful God that we are able to pray to right now uh, through his word. And we thank you and praise you for the gift of your word and the privilege to have a copy of it in our laps right now. In Jesus' name, amen. The grand view of God's word. I'm going to move quickly. Uh, before we get into each of the, the different sections where we'll be doing the overview of each of the books of the Bible, I think it's an important a uh, couple, a little bit of foundational information here to lay the twofold purpose for this series. Number one, so that the child of God can be equipped to readily depend upon the Word of God. Not just an occasional reference to it, but to readily depend upon the Word of God. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one, his wounds for me shall plead. And I need no other argument, I need no other plea, he's given me his word. And so the power of his word and the ability to readily depend upon it. And then a second purpose for this series is to learn better to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, several verses here, I know they might be too small for some to see, but uh, let me just read off a few of these. Job chapter 23 and verse number 12, Job said, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Spiritual food more important than physical food. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And then I'm fascinated by the two verses that are here from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And then Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not thy word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? What I notice about those two verses from Jeremiah, the first talks about the internal benefit of the word to the one who eats the word, to the one who partakes of the word. And it becomes the joy and the rejoicing of Jeremiah's heart and of our heart. But then in chapter 23 and verse number 29, he talks about the outward impact of the word. It's like as a fire, and it's like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock. And so it has internal benefit, and it has external benefit as we learn to wield the sword of the Spirit. And of course, that leads us then to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The word of God is quick. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, this book knows me. This book knows you. And to a degree, this book helps us to know other people so that we can know better how to minister to them. And then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Let me just say this. A person that uses the word to interact hatefully with other people is not properly using the word of God. It's a contradiction of this passage because Peter says we're to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. So our use of the word is to be speaking the truth in love. And then the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth, and this series will help us to do that. Uh, rightly dividing the tr word of truth, Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, a workman. Knowing the word takes 
work, doesn't it? As we study, and then rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, it's uh, the word that has the idea of cutting along the lines of a pattern. And so when you learn to rightly divide the word of truth, you open it up according to the way God intended for it to be opened up. You cut according to God's pattern. And we'll see more about that as we move forward. Several uh, words I want you to understand by definition and by illustration. We'll look at two of these this evening and then take the rest in the next couple of Wednesdays. The first is revelation as it relates to uh, God's self-revelation not just general revelation, but specific revelation. The Word of God will define this in a few more moments. And then the word inspiration, we'll talk a little bit about that this evening. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at canonization and preservation. And then two other words, interpretation and illumination. Canonization, the rule by which we decide, or it was decided in the New Testament times, what makes the 66 books of the Bible, okay? Did we have to wait on a council in the 4th century to know that we had a complete Bible? The answer is no. We didn't need to know that, okay? God gave the rules of canonization, if you would, in His Word that helped New Testament churches determine that uh, even before we got to the Council of Nicaea. Preservation. Uh, How do we know that the book that we have has been perfectly and sacredly and securely preserved for us from the original manuscripts? And so we'll talk about preservation. Interpretation, that's rightly dividing the word of truth. And then illumination is that work of the Holy Spirit of God where he enlightens our minds, illumines our minds to understand the scripture. Okay, so vital words for us. And we're going to define these over the next few weeks before we start into the Pentateuch. Number one, revelation. Again, if you want to take notes, please feel free to do so. If you want more information, you can go back. Uh, When we went to Israel, somebody asked me, did you take a lot of notes? And I took notes the first day. And then after that, I decided, you know what? Other people are taking notes. I got some of this stuff in a book. I can find a lot of this information online. And I let other people, I took a few pictures. I think my brother Levi took about four, three or 4,000 pictures while we were there. I took about 800 total. I thought, if I need more than 800, I know where I can get them. But I decided for the rest of that trip in Israel, I'm just going to fill my eyes because i got to be able to describe what all of this looks like when I get back. And so that was my goal. So if you just want to sit here and take this in right here and then go back and look later in more detail, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Revelation, let's define it. Revelation is God's communication of truth about himself and his plan for mankind. It is God's communication of truth about himself and his plan for mankind. Now, then it logically follows, secondly, that revelation is God's self-revelation. It is not a collection of man's ideas about God. By very use of the word revelation. And that's why Hebrews chapter 1 is so important. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Get this. Revelation is not man's ideas about God being communicated. Revelation is God's self-revelation to mankind. Okay, That puts it in a completely different category. Along with that, the Bible evidences that this revelation comes in two forms, okay? And I'll tell you these right here, general revelation and special revelation, right? Now, let's talk about general revelation. General revelation can be seen in three different aspects or facets. 
general revelation. That is, God has generally revealed himself to all creation, okay, all humankind. Number one, in creation, the work of creation. Number two, in human conscience. And then thirdly, the course of human history, or what we call providence. Now, let me just say this. One of the major differences between general revelation and special revelation is this. General revelation cannot save a person. Okay. Just because a person acknowledges that there's a God, that doesn't save them. Okay. General revelation has the power to communicate the existence of God, but it does not bring a person to salvation. It's not able to make a person wise into salvation. Okay? As we talk about creation, here are a couple of familiar passages. Many of you know Psalm 19, 1. So the creation of the world, the universe around us, as a testimony of God's revelation of himself, that there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, that is the line of creation and the, the solar system, the lights in the heavenly sky, their line, their circuit, if you would, has gone out through all the earth, their words unto the end of the world. They're talking. They're talking to the conscience of man so that, get this, even the, the so-called native in the darkest part of Africa or South America is having spoken to them by general revelation, there is a God. Okay. And, and they are responsible for that revelation. There's another principle in the Bible, though, that teaches us that light obeyed brings more light. Okay. And that's the goodness and the mercy of our God, is that when someone responds to that general revelation, he makes sure that they get special revelation. And that's the character of our God. Acts 14 and verse number 17, the second verse I have there. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with good and gladness. Uh, the Bible tells us that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Okay, So creation testifies to the existence of God, the power of God, and many of the attributes of God, also the human conscience. And this is really developed by Paul in Romans chapter number 1. So general revelation is manifested in creation. It is manifested in the human conscience. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Without excuse. Okay, general revelation. And notice this. People that look at creation say, yeah, I believe in a God who's like this doting grandfather up in heaven. The Bible makes it clear that there's enough information in general revelation and creation in the conscience of man to understand that we also have a God, the creator of this universe is a God who also rules against unrighteousness too. Okay. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 15, creation or humans show the work of the law written in their hearts, not just Jews, but Jew and Gentile alike. They show the work of the law written in their hearts, the law of God, his moral standard, their conscience also bearing them witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And then a third aspect of general revelation. I know I'm moving quickly here, but I'm trying to get this information in for us tonight. The course of history or providence 
We could look at Genesis chapter 12 and just follow the history of the nation of Israel as the descendants of Abraham. You can look at even a book like Esther, and though it does not mention the name of the Lord, it is clear that God is working behind the scenes. And we'll even talk more about that when we get to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther down the road. But notice if you would Isaiah 46 and verse number 9. God reveals himself in the fact that he works in the course of history. Remember the former things of old, Isaiah writes, on behalf of the Lord. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Notice this, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Even if you just look at one people group, in particular the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and how from Abraham all the way to this point they've even survived, okay, is a testament to the fact that God is and that he has a plan for those people. And, that the, and you talk about the, the other nations that interacted with them. You look at that in prophecy. And so three aspects to general revelation, creation, conscience, and the course of human history. But then we talk about special revelation. Old Testament means of special revelation. Now we're talking about two things in particular. Number one, the scriptures, okay, or what would ultimately become the scriptures. And then number two, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this moves beyond just general revelation to special revelation, which has the ability to bring a person to salvation when they trust in the word of God. Okay? Old Testament means there were indirect forms, the Urim and the Thummim, Remember the stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest, meaning lights and perfections. And there were times when direction was needed by the nation of Israel, and God would manifest, generally speak, or He would manifest His will through the way that those lights. I'm glad we don't have to determine the will of God that way today. And all God's people said, okay? And then the lot. The lot is cast in the lap. Solomon said, but the disposing thereof is of the Lord. God would also sometimes give his revelation or direction in more direct forms. He would give dreams, visions, angels, Christophanies, which were Old Testament appearances of the person, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. He also used prophets, and then he used Old Testament scripture. Of course, Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 to 14, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And uh, David goes on to talk about the statutes of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. And then we come to the New Testament, and there were two forms, if you would, of special revelation in the New Testament. Uh, the first, what I call transitional forms. Remember, transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And there is an instance of the lot being used in Acts chapter number 1, when a replacement for Judas was needed. Also, you read the book of Acts. I read the whole book of Acts the other night in another study that I'm doing. And dreams and visions and angels and the apostles and the prophets being the, the cornerstones, if you would, or the foundation of the New Testament church as it relates to revelation and doctrine. But then what I call terminal forms. In other words, all of these Incomplete forms of revelation were moving towards two complete forms. Okay? The first is the book that you hold in your lap. And the second is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? John chapter 1 and verse number 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Okay? So, the ultimate revelation of Jesus Christ, the living word 
and then the ultimate revelation of the written word, the inspired scripture, taking all of the record of the dreams and the visions of the Old Testament and the Old Testament books and bringing them all to completion with the addition of the New Testament books to the 66 books that you hold in your hand. And we understand from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and other passages of Scripture, it is complete. Okay. And so, revelation. But then I want us to notice, secondly, inspiration. Inspiration. Remember that revelation is God's communication of himself and his plan. And ultimately, in Jesus Christ, he revealed himself. And in Scripture, the Bible, the completed Bible, he has revealed uh, himself to mankind. But the understanding of the word inspiration is this speaks about the means through which the accurate transmission of Bible revelation was guaranteed. The means through which the accurate transmission of Bible revelation was guaranteed. Remember originally in the Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic and in the New Testament in Greek, three ancient languages. But what does inspiration mean? I'm not going to go into all the different theories of it. We're just going to look at what the Bible teaches, not what some man has come up with as a definition of inspiration. There are three key words as we seek to understand what it means that we have the inspired word of God. Originally in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and now by uh, virtue of preservation in our own English tongue. Okay? But three words, three key words which picture for us this act of God that we call inspiration. The first is the word teacheth, which is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 13. The apostle Paul, who was an apostle that God used to give us 14 books of the New Testament, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 13 that the wisdom that is put in the word of God, get this, the wisdom is not the wisdom which man teacheth, but it is the wisdom which the Holy Spirit of God teacheth. And the idea there is detailed instruction, not just generally throwing information out there and then man kind of coming up with his own idea how to collect it or pass it on or communicate it. But the Spirit of God teacheth, is the idea, he taught in the work of inspiration, detailed instruction. And then, of course, a verse familiar to all of us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice this, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. To me, one of the great, that's one of the greatest passages in all the Bible, not only on inspiration, but on the sufficiency of Scripture. The inspired word has the ability to bring the trusting believer to completion. Okay? So the importance of not just inspiration, 2 Timothy 3.16, but the sufficiency of Scripture. But the word is, the Greek word is theonoustos, God breathed. In other words, it came from his mouth, not man's mind. Okay, it came from God's mouth. Then the word moved that is used in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20 of 2 Peter 1, uh, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. It literally means individual opening. In other words, if you find some guy that's come up with a secret meaning, he's seen something in the Bible that nobody's ever seen before. Okay. Warning sign. 
Okay, the Spirit of God is going to build, and He has done this in particular through 2,000 years of Christian history, builds a consensus, the Spirit of God builds a consensus when it comes to the right interpretation of Scripture. Okay. Praise God for the written record of that uh, when it comes to good books on this very subject. But the word moved. So, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And then Peter goes on to say this, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Greek word pheromeno. Literally means to be carried along or borne along like a passenger in a boat. They were carried along to a very specific destination. Okay, they weren't navigating themselves. The Spirit of God was doing the navigating of the boat okay, to get them to the destination of His Word. Um, let me hit this again. So, some key verses to illustrate this. The connection between the words coming directly from the Lord and then human penmen writing them down. Again, you can go back and look at these verses uh, on, on the, uh, the recording online if you want to. Exodus 34, 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. After the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. We're talking about a major portion of the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant and all of the surrounding uh, admonitions of that. Write it down after the tenor of these words. That's not a music part. The word tenor literally means the mouth of these words. It's the idea, write down word for word what God said. Out of his mouth, write it down, a command given to Moses. Listen to what David said, 2 Samuel 23, 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, the man who God raised up on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, the spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. A claim of inspiration by one of the human penmen in Scripture. Now, we'll not look at Jeremiah 36 and the verses there. To me, that's one of the best Old Testament passages on the doctrine of preservation. We'll look at that, uh, Lord willing, in a couple weeks when we get there. Notice Ezekiel 24 and verse number 2. Son of man, write thee the name of the day. Even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this day. This is going to be significant here in just a moment. We're going to draw a few conclusions before we finish this evening. But it is God, get this, God's integrity is tied to his desire to write down what he said. And this is one of several instances in the scripture where God said, write down that I pinpointed the exact day <laughs> that Babylon is going to be, or that Babylon is going to conquer Jerusalem. And Jeremiah, or Ezekiel did. And as a, as a testimony that God knew so that the people of Israel look back and say, God told us that this was going to happen. And then they would confess one of the main themes of the book of Ezekiel is that they might know that he is the Lord, that they might know. Notice, if you would, uh, Ezekiel 43 and verse number 11. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house and the fashion thereof and the goings out thereof and the comings in thereof and all the forms thereof and all the ordinances thereof and all the forms thereof and all the laws thereof and write it in their sight that they may keep the whole form thereof and all the ordinances thereof and do them. The idea behind this passage is uh, God is giving Ezekiel specific descriptions of the millennial temple. 
And he's basically saying, write down the form of it so that if there are some that are ashamed, if there are some that repent, there are some that understand they're wrong and they want to get right with God, they can look and see that I'm describing for them in detail what the future millennial temple is going to be like as a promise to give them hope and give them strength. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 2, again, looking at this connection between the inspiration of God, word for word, and then it being written down for our good and God's glory. Habakkuk 2, 2, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it, that we can go communicate the word of God and know that we go with the reliable word of God backing us, okay? Four descriptive adjectives. I'm watching the time go. I've got to hurry here. Four descriptive adjectives to define the stamp of a perfect personal God on his inspired word. And uh, many of you have maybe heard these words before. I want to briefly define them. When we talk about inspiration, we talk about verbal inspiration, plenary inspiration, inerrant inspiration, and infallible inspiration. Okay? Verbal means every word of God is inspired. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. How sure is he of this? How pure are his words? Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Okay. So verbal, every word. Jesus would even say in the Gospel of Matthew, even to the jot and the tittle. The jot, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet... The tittle, the smallest little mark that distinguishes one letter from another in the Hebrew alphabet. And nothing is going to pass from the law until all of it be fulfilled, even down to the very jot and the very tittle. So verbal, every word. Plenary, viewing the scripture as a whole or complete. And of course, we've already mentioned uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration. Now listen, this is important. Some of the modern versions play around with this verse. And they say something like this, all inspired scripture is given by God. And they make a distinction in scripture between what they determine subjectively is inspired and what is just man's ideas. The bi- and the grammar proves this, not just some scripture, but when Paul under inspiration said all scripture, he was talking about all scripture, not a select portion of it. Okay? All scripture of all these 66 books is given by inspiration of God. And then the word inerrant, it means without error. Psalm 12 and verse number 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. In Psalm 18.30, as for God, his way is perfect, and uh, every word of the Lord is tried, it's proven, it's perfect, it's pure is the idea there. And then infallible, meaning incapable of error or leading astray. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8 through 11. Uh, his word, when it goes forth, it will accomplish his purposes. It will not return void and it will prosper in the thing that God sends it to do. It is absolutely infallible. It is completely reliable. Okay. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 23 to 25. Peter talks about the incorruptibility of the word by which we're born again and that it lives and abides forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. We often talk about the relevancy of the scripture. I like the term timeless better. Uh, Some, when they use the term relevant, they mean that we got to 
catch it up and make it relevant to today's culture and situation. No, by nature of its timelessness, it's already relevant. All we need to do is apply it. Okay. And so, verbal, plenary, inerrant, and infallible. Several concluding facts. The writing of God's words establishes his integrity. Let me look at this one verse. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse number 8. If you want to uh, briefly turn there. If not, you can look it up later. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse number 8. And this goes along with uh, something we said just a few moments ago. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse number 7. Isaiah, as the Lord's prophet, is writing to the nation of Israel, discouraging them from trusting in the Egyptians for help. Remember in their history several times they tried to get the Egyptians to come help them against the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Verse number 7, Isaiah 30. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore, have I cried concerning this? Their strength is to sit still. They're going to do nothing, those Egyptians are. Some things never change. Verse number eight. Now, go write it before them in a table. Notice what Isaiah says. Go write it before them in a table. Note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. God said, write it down so that they'll have it available and they'll always know that I said it. And it will help to establish God's integrity in the nation of Israel and in their minds. Fourteen times John was commanded by the Lord to write in the Revelation, the last book of our New Testament. 3,800 times the Bible claims to speak as the Word of God or for God. 3,800 times. There are, I think, 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Do the proportion there. Whether it's thus saith the Lord or and God said, phrases like that, 3,800 plus times the Bible claims to speak for God. The character of God, the character and the claims of the Bible itself from the human penman, the claims of the human penman testify to the truth of inspiration from Moses to Joshua, Daniel to Jeremiah, Peter to Paul. While God used 40-some human penmen, God is the author of this book. By inspiration, he has given us his revelation. Some might say, okay, is this circular reasoning and therefore invalid that we use this book to prove that it is the word of God? That we use this book to prove who our God is? Is that circular reasoning? It's actually a legitimate form of circular reasoning. So I'm going to close with this quote right here from a book in the library. I like this, and he addresses this question because there are those who will say, it's circular reasoning to use the Bible to prove that you believe about God what you do. It's circular reasoning to, there's no outside substantiation for you to prove that the Bible is the Word of God. You're using verses from within it to prove that it is the Word of God. Is that an invalid form of circular reasoning? Does that negate our argument, our belief? No, listen to this. Any theological system must establish its own authority. If a theological system utilizes any authority outside of itself, it would be inconsistent. If Christianity utilized the Quran as its final authority, then it follows that the teachings of the Quran supersede the teachings of Christianity. And the Islam faith is the true religion and not Christianity. However, the Muslims count the Quran as their final authority, and Christianity counts the Bible as their final authority. All theological systems must claim their respective writings as their final authority 
to avoid this inconsistency. Therefore, theological systems employ, and I would add, a legitimate form of circular reasoning to establish their final authority. By the way, this book is more than our final authority. Final means we've maybe consulted some others before we get here. This book is our sole authority of faith and practice. We believe that as Baptists. And I would just add one final thing, and that is this. When it comes to that whole question of circular reasoning, then the question is raised, what about the internal evidence and the integrity of this book? And I will tell you that this book is perfect. Okay. I have no qualms whatsoever about saying this. You test it. I love what C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. Prick him where he will, and he bleeds the Bible. His bloodline is bibline, he said. And I love that. And what a wonderful assurance it is for us to have because of revelation and inspiration to have the book that we do. We're going to sing about that uh, here after we pray together. Let me pray, and then we'll go to prayer for a little bit, and then we'll sing another song about the Bible to conclude this evening. Father, thank you for, and Lord, I know that this has been uh, pretty high speed for us this evening, but trying to cover some time and a lot of information to, to get in the next few weeks into uh, the analysis and overview of each of the books of the Bible. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would, uh, even though some of this is repetition for many of us in this room, I thank you, Lord, for the fact that Peter and others in Scripture, uh, Paul's practice and Peter's practice was to make much of repetition. Lord, as we think about these two doctrines in particular, revelation and inspiration, we thank you for what we've been able to be reminded of this evening. And Lord, now as we go to prayer, I pray that you would hear our prayer. I pray that we would pray in the Spirit uh, from a standpoint of unity, binding together uh, the things for which we pray this evening uh, in unity in our hearts. Thank you for the assurance of the intercession of God's Spirit from within us and the intercession of the Son at your right hand, even as we pray this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.